you to choose to return later on this evening to come and partake of that feast. Though I've chosen all of you to come, it's up to you to return. And so some don't invite Jesus to rule over anything. There are those people out there. They're called atheists. Some invite Jesus to reign over a small area, kind of like Hebron. Here's David, the king, and he's only invited to rule over Hebron. Some give Jesus reign over everything and he has authority over, which is everything, everything. God is a gentleman, and he doesn't force anyone to love him and follow him. If God were to make us love him and serve him, then there wouldn't be love at all. Love is a choice that needs to be made. That is why God gave Adam and Eve all the fruit from every tree to eat from, except that one tree. God placed a choice before Adam and Eve, because without having the choice to obey him, they couldn't choose to love him. God doesn't make robots. He desires us to have free will and decisions to make. Today, Pastor Mark will be encouraging us to choose to love God by obeying Him completely. Don't hold on to any sin. It's not worth it. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 3 with today's edition of Come Alive. So if you look at verse 15, it says, And Ishbosheth sent back and took her from her husband, from Peltiel, the son of Laish. And then her husband went along with her to Bahrim, weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, Go, return, and he returned. This is a sad picture. It's a very sad picture. She marries another guy because David's not around. And this guy's truly in love because he's following her weeping, crying. Oh, please. And it's just, you know, I mean, I was talking and thinking about this. I was like, man, this has got to be just really rough for the dude trying to put myself in his sandals and see. And I was like, man, what if that happened and somebody took my wife away like that? Would I return or would I fight? Because if I really loved her, I'd fight for the death. Now, if you had children, you'd be like, well, then the kids will have no dad, and you got to weigh your options. Abner must have been a really tough dude, because all Abner says is return, and the guy turns around and leaves. And so you might think, well, man, this is horrible. Why would David do this? Well, the other question is, why would this guy marry her, knowing that she was married to David? That's the other question. Why would that happen? Why would she, you know, maybe she didn't have a choice. Back in this culture, sometimes the, the wives didn't, the ladies didn't have too much of a choice. But if she did, then why? Why? And again, it goes to, well, you know, I've got these felt needs. I've got felt needs. I want to feel loved. I want to feel, it's like really, it's all about feeling at this point. And, and it should be about commitment. What are you committed to? What are you passionate about as a Christian? So he says, give me my wife. And he wanted his wife. And so he takes her from this this husband. And prudence and policy requires for him that he should strengthen his own interest in the kingdom as much as possible, is what some scholars think. That this was a good way for him to strengthen his, his kingdom. Now, we don't know the real reason. We're not told here what David's thinking, why, other than the fact we can just assume that he loved her. 
That was his first wife, and he bought and paid for her. She was bought and paid for at a price. And Abner said to him, go return, he returns. And again, Abner must have been a really tough guy for this guy just to turn around and leave. Verse 17, so now Abner said to and communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, in time past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then do it, for the Lord has spoken of David, saying, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David and Hebron and all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron, and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And then Abner said to David, I will arise and I will go. I will gather all of Israel to my lord, the king, and they will make a covenant with you that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. And so here we see, uh, again, though this, he was the rightful king, David's not going to reign over anyone by force. And so he, he's, he was submitted kind of in a sense. He was like, okay, cool, I'm just going to submit freely to what the people want for a little while. And then Abner's like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. So this is a picture of Jesus' lordship in our life. Did he force himself on you at any point in time? No, he didn't. We had a choice. See, he's in fact the king of kings and the lord of lords when we know this. But he chooses, for the most part, to exercise his sovereignty only at our invitation. He says, hey, I'm here. And yeah, I've chosen you before the foundation of the world, which would mean all of us. But yet we still have a choice in the matter. So if I had a big banqueting feast here for all of us here, and I said, okay, I've chosen all of you to show up at my feast, it would be up to you to choose to return later on this evening to come and partake of that feast. Though I've chosen all of you to come, it's up to you to return. And so some don't invite Jesus to rule over anything. There are those people out there. They're called atheists. Some invite Jesus to reign over a small area, kind of like Hebron. Here's David, the king, and he's only invited to rule over Hebron. Some give Jesus reign over everything, and he has authority over, which is everything. Everything. Either you do or you don't. Jesus says, you're either for me or you're against me. Not 20% for me, because like that counts. But either all for me, you're all in or all out. Revelation again tells us that God says, I wish you were hot or cold. Make up your mind. Don't walk the fence. Don't be lukewarm, because I'm going to puke you out of my mouth. And so Abner is a good example of someone who eventually surrenders to God as a king, right? As the Lord of their lives. He surrenders to David, God's king. And now he wants to influence others to surrender to God's king, God's chosen. What about you and I? Are we those kind of people? Once we've surrendered, did we go and say, hey, you know, I know somebody that'd be a good candidate to be part of this relationship. I know somebody who needs a king because I'm looking at the way they're ruling their life because, you know, they don't really have a king. They just got, well, a guy like Abner and a guy like Ishbosheth. And who knows where that's going to wind up. And so Abner tells everyone to switch. You delighted in him. Now switch is what, what Abner's saying. You, you wanted him as your king. You were stoked that there, you, there's somebody like this. You've heard the news. So switch. Don't hang out in the dark. And that's the same message I want to bring to you today. That you've heard the gospel preached. You've understood something about the lowliness of Jesus Christ and the loveliness of Jesus Christ. 
And yet you desire to walk with him. You've had a desire to devote your life to him in service. So now's the time to do it if you haven't done it. You might think, well, it sounds cool. But I'm just not really sure. I want to see how it goes in other people's lives. And there might be people watching you. And if there are, make sure you make that life look good. Don't turn people off to Christ because, well, you're not fully committed. You're not really given over. You might have six others or seven other things in your life that are pulling you away and you're going to reap what you sow because of those things. Be careful. Not tomorrow. Not when you get a promotion. Not when you have more money, a wife, a house, or whatever else is holding you. Today is the day. Today is the day you say, I surrender fully and wholly, and I give myself over to you, God, and I want you to live in me and through me. I want you to manifest yourself in my life. That's what Abner did. He says, hey, you know, yeah, I did it for the wrong reasons, but yet he goes out and he still does something. And God can use anyone to increase his kingdom, to exalt and glorify him. So either you do that or you don't. You either do it in front of the people in your household or in front of the people you work with, or you don't. And you say, well, it's kind of a 50-50 thing. Well, that's okay. If you blow it, there's always repentance. There's always turning your back on that sin. Look at verse 21 again. It says, and then Abner said to David, I will arise and I will go. I will arise and I will go. He, he makes a decision to do this. The fact that Abner, who was a general, not a Bible scholar, knew that these prophecies... And the fact that he could ask the leaders of Israel to consider them means that these prophecies of David's were widely known, but other people had to know about them. And so, sadly, they were not widely obeyed. And, and, and most of Israel was always lukewarm and un, un, unenthusiastic to embrace uh, David as their king. And it's the same thing. It goes forward into the New Testament. The Pharisees, the religious, that's why we always talk about like, man, I don't want to be religious. You can be religious all you want. That's you trying to reach up to God, but relationship is God reaching down to you. And so we don't want to be religious because we know what religion does. It's just like the Pharisees. Uh, They knew the prophecies. They, They were the scholars. They were supposedly the smart ones, yet they missed the Messiah. And so we don't want to be those. We don't want to be those people who miss Jesus. And so it's all about the relationship. It's all about communication between you and God. Look at verse 22. And at that moment, the servants of David and Joab came for a raid, from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away and he had gone in peace. And when Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he sent him away, and he has gone in peace. And then Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away, and he has already gone? And surely, verse 25, you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going in and out, and you're coming in. And you know all that you are doing, and to know all that you are doing. So here, Joab's like, dude, this guy's a spy, David. What, what, what are you thinking? He's not good. He killed my brother. Well, why would you do this? So he suspects Abner of being a double agent for Ishbosheth. He's angry at David that David let Abner go without, well, killing him or, or holding him as a prisoner. 
And so why wasn't Joab pleased that Abner had defected and joined David's table? I mean, you think that this is a great commander. We saw last week how awesome he was and how he talked. You know, said, hey, you know, you guys don't want to fight right now. This is not cool. There are at least three reasons for this hostility. One, Joab feared Abner as a deceiver, a double agent working on behalf of Ishbosheth, uh, the pretender king. Abner killed Joab's brother, would be the second one. And the third is Joab's the avenger of blood for um, Asahel, as described in Numbers 35, 9 through 28. Now, um, Abner, we're told, he has a right to run to the city of refuge. And, and, and Hebron would be one of those cities. And what that means is if, if you accidentally killed someone in self-defense, or if you killed someone in self-defense or accidentally killed someone, a manslaughter, you as the killer, the person who did the deed, you could run to one of these cities of refuge, and you could be safe there. But you couldn't leave it. And the minute you left it, well, you were kind of on your own because a guy like Joab might be standing outside the gates ready to kill you to avenge the death of his brother. And so, again, here, when it says he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother, the careful plot to murder Abner outside of the city refuge made the murder all the more dark. If you look at verse 27, it says, Now, when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside to the gate to speak with him privately, and there he stabbed him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. So, again, as the chief general of the former King Saul, Abner had a lot of top-level military experience. He was a good guy to have on your side. And Abner was probably going to take Joab's job because we know that David had a bunch of these shady dudes. And it seemed that Joab and his guys constantly just kind of went out and in as they pleased. That David didn't have a real tight grip on them. And so here he's, he's scared. So Joab carefully engineers his murder. Um, so the killing was done outside of the gate of Hebron. He goes in there and he says, hey, you know what? David's got a message. David's got something to tell you. And so he, once he leaves David's presence, he sends messengers after Abner. and says, hey, meet me outside the gates of Hebron. And so he goes and here, you know, this guy just walks out. Abner walks out of the gates, takes one step over, and it slides out for Abner. Joab kills Abner. And it shows that Joab knew that Abner had a rightful claim to self-defense and was protected inside the city of Hebron. It shows that. Because uh, why else would he stay outside the gates? Because if he did it inside the gates, well, it'd be a different story for Joab. But he stays outside the gate, and he kills him anyway. So he justified this by the thought that I'm doing this to defend and honor David, my king, and also my brother. Right? Because he was worried about treachery. And what would honor his king? Uh, He could justify it by that. So we must avoid the trap of deceiving ourselves into belief that we're honoring our Lord and master when we are all the while, well, bringing disgrace upon his name. A lot of times when you confront somebody about a sin, they quickly justify why they're doing it. There's a cooler rocks. We're on top of the hill, dad. That's justifying the sin. Trying to get me to buy into the cool rocks because, well, He'll bring me a cool rock every now and then. I'm like, dude, this is a really cool rock. We should keep this. Put it in our little rock garden so it can look like all the other cool rocks. So he tries to justify the sin. And he brings disgrace upon God. Look at verse 28. It says, afterward, when David heard it, he said, my kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever, the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab 
and all his father's house, and let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or as a leper, who leans on the staff or falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So David curses uh, Joab. Verse 30, so Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother, Asahel, at Gibeon in the battle. And then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth, and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. And so here, David wanted it to be known that it wasn't his command that brought about the death of Abner. And so it gave David's administration a reputation for brutality if it would have been seen as that. And so he says, hey, it wasn't us. I didn't throw that command out there. That was all done on Joab. So let's curse Joab. But he did nothing with his actions. David did nothing with his actions. Look at verse 32. And so they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice, and he wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king sang a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put into fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. And then all the people wept over him again. And so here, in the Old Testament time, if a man was killed unintentionally, as Abner had done, he had unintentionally killed uh, Joab's brother, he could find protection from his victim's avengers by running into the one of the six cities of refuge. But he stepped outside of the gate. And this is where that, you know, uh, part of the song says, should Abner die as a fool dies. He was kind of foolish in going outside of the gate. Abner knew that. He shouldn't have gone outside the gate. And so for you and I as Christians, here's how it applies to us. Jesus is our refuge. He's our refuge. And we shouldn't be lured away, not even for a moment, by some kind of message, by somebody saying, hey, it's okay. The enemy always does that, tries to make it sound like it's oh, it's an okay thing to do. It's all right. Come on out. Step away from that flock of people that are holding you accountable. Get, get away from them. And, and the reason he does that is the minute you cross out of, outside of Jesus' refuge, outside of what Jesus has for you, his protection, you've made a choice. You've made a choice to play the fool. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so sometimes that happens. We, we tend to think, oh, well, God can't handle this. Or it's too small for God, so I, it's going to be okay. And we step outside. And that doesn't mean that you're not saved once you step outside of his right. You just might get hurt. You might get hurt. And there are a lot of Christians like that that are hurt. They got saved souls, but they have this lost life because they've stepped outside of the refuge. And they wander around out there looking for the refuge. And it's like, hey, there it is. Bright lights, city of refuge, Jesus Christ. Come back. The Bible tells us the, the, the enemy, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It, all you got to do is turn on the uh, National Geographic channel or one of those shows and watch what a lion does. He separates his prey, gets it all alone, and then moves in for the kill. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants you to step outside of that refuge. See, Abner was a great warrior, a true leader, but the moment he stepped outside of his protection, not his comfort zone, don't get those two mixed up. You were called as a Christian to be outside your comfort zone. The minute he stepped outside of his protection, not his comfort zone, his protection, he died as a fool. So don't step outside the refuge from under his wings, as, as the Bible tells us. Look at verse 35. It says, And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food while it was still day, David took an oath, saying, 
God do so to me, and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. Now all the people took note of it, and it pleased them, since whatever the king did pleased all the people. So they see, the people really see that David had a heart for Abner. They saw that it was good, uh, that David wasn't rejoicing at the death of this man who battled against him. And and think about this. This is this is real. Can you and I love our enemies like that? Is there somebody you're so upset about? You're wishing death upon. Maybe you grit your teeth every time you see him, or you're just like, I just can't stand that person. I could care less if they ever come back. Is that really loving your enemy? Is that really being that Christ-like picture? Are we really practicing Christianity when we have those attitudes? David, he was a man of compassion. He was a man of forgiveness, grace. Mercy. And see, people will follow a person like that. People follow those people. Look at verse 37. It says, And for all the people and all Israel understood that that day it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner, the son of Ner. Then the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today, though anointed king, and these men, the sons of Zariah, are too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. So Abner's name means enlightened. It means enlightened. He was a little enlightened. He spent most of his life fighting against David, and there comes a time when he made a decision to turn around. He he enlightened himself. He saw who David truly was. And so we see an amazing picture of people who spend most of their life fighting against the rightful king, the son of David, Jesus Christ. We see, it, we see this picture of people who do this all the time here. And they eventually become enlightened, willing to accept the truth, to follow him. And what Abner does is he preached a message to his people, telling them to follow David. Follow David. He didn't know that eventually 18,000 people would follow David, would turn to follow the rightful king. So that lets me know that, you know what, what you and I do with what we know, you may just tell one person. And it may be that later on, who knows how many thousands of people will follow because of you opening your mouth one time or a couple of times. See, they would transfer their allegiance from one kingdom, Ishbosheth, to the other, David's. And in doing that, the same can be true of you. You and I can do this. One simple message that you preach as you change your allegiance can make all the difference in the world. So who who are you lining yourself up with? Yourself? Yourself? And you might think, well, you know, Mark, we're looking around and most of us are saved. Well, are you fully surrendered? You may be fully saved, but are you fully surrendered? The book of 2 Samuel continues the story of David, the second king of the nation of Israel. From his ascension to the throne, to his battlefield victories, to his sins and failures, God continually describes David as a man after his own heart. This distinction reminds us that though we fail, our God still delights in having us a part of his family. We can bring our sins to him in an attitude of repentance, knowing he offers us grace anew for each morning. We'd love to pray for you and encourage you in your journey of faith. So please give us a call. Let us know how you heard about Come Alive and feel free to ask us any questions you have and we'll do our best to answer. Call us at 281-391-5503. Do you live in or are you visiting the Katy area? If so, we want to meet you. 
Here's Tracy with more information. Calvary Chapel Katy is a great group of Jesus followers who are ready and waiting to welcome you into our family. We'll make sure you find a friendly smile and a listening ear. We genuinely want to get to know you. Come and see us on Sunday at 10 a.m. or find out more about our men's and women's Bible studies. Give us a call with any questions and to get directions. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. See you there. Thanks, Tracy. Tune in again for more from 2 Samuel right here on Come Alive.